1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: My hunting party had heard and smelled something eerie. Loud screams, not dissimilar to those of a large bear, echoed through the quiet woods. The eerie part was that there were no big bears in these parts. Those gut-wrenching screams were still etched in my memory playing out like a nightmare I couldn't shake off. Then came the silence. The unsettling silence continued, the unusual smell growing stronger. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move. It was a fleeting shadow at first, but as I focused my gaze, it became clear that it was a large, upright figure standing on the edge of the woods. It was massive, towering over the tallest trees silhouetted against the faintly glowing evening sky. I squinted, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. The figure had a distinct, humanoid shape but was covered head to toe in thick, dark fur. It stood there for a moment, its eyes glowing in the dim light, seemingly observing us. Bigfoot. It had to be. I kept my eyes on the creature until we safely backtracked. Although the encounter was brief and somewhat frightening, It was also utterly fascinating. My hunting troop told me that we needed to shoot it, but I was against such an idea. I think they're more human-like than we think. The legend of the skinwalker has always sent shivers down my spine. As a member of the Algonquin tribes, it's a tale I've heard countless times. It speaks of a sinister entity that can take the form of any creature it desires. It's said to be an evil witch, punished for using forbidden magic and doom to roam the earth, sowing discord and feeding on fear. In our tribe, the Skinwalker and the Windigo are often spoken of in the same breath. Both are embodiments of our darkest fears. The Windigo, a creature born of insatiable greed and cannibalism, is a grim reminder of the dangers of letting our desires overcome us. Despite the passing of generations, The terror these entities evoke remains ever present, a shadow cast upon our people, especially when venturing into the vast, untamed wilderness of our ancestral lands. Not long ago, a group of ten friends, outsiders all of them, decided to camp in these very woods. They crossed paths with me on their way. I noticed their excitement, their laughter echoing through the trees, a stark contrast to the quiet reverence we natives held for this land. I felt it was my duty to warn them about the legends, about the skinwalker and windigo that lurked in our folklore. Their response was nothing short of mockery. They laughed it off, joking about these fairy tales, their voices filled with youthful arrogance. I watched them go, a sinking feeling in my heart. Their first night was filled with joy, but as the days passed, their laughter faded, replaced by an eerie silence the tranquil forest began to whisper tales of terror. They reported strange noises, horrifying visions, and an unsettling feeling of being watched. Then, one by one, they began to disappear. Despite the growing fear, they refused to leave, their pride blinding them to the direness of their situation. One night, after the last embers of their campfire had died out, they all vanished. It was I who found their abandoned campsite. Tents torn apart, their belongings scattered haphazardly, and a chilling silence hanging in the air. Search parties were formed, and after days of combing the forest, we found them. Their lifeless bodies were a grim testament to their hubris. The legend of the Skinwalker and the Windigo is not just a story, it's a warning, a lesson about respect and humility. These friends learned it too late. Their fate serves as a chilling reminder to all who dare to venture into these woods, ignorant and dismissive of the ancient spirits that dwell within. It was back in the early summer of 1991, mid-June or perhaps early July, that something truly strange happened on my family's 300-acre property, located about a mile north of Cape Perpetua, near the coast of Yahats, Oregon. I was driving down our private access road. There were some hikers further ahead, enjoying the tranquility of the dense woods surrounding us. That tranquility was abruptly shattered when a massive creature darted across the road in front of them, disappearing into the underbrush as quickly as it had appeared. I can still remember how the sight of it took my breath away. It was enormous, about nine feet tall, covered in long, brown hair. But what was most astounding was the speed at which it moved. One moment, it was there, standing in stark contrast to the lush green of the forest, and in the blink of an eye, it was gone, swallowed by the foliage. No sound accompanied its passage, no rustling of the leaves, no crackling of the twigs beneath its weight, and there was no distinctive odor that lingered in its wake. The creature left behind a single, blurred footprint. I didn't bother to measure it, the details of the print were far too vague to make out any useful information. But the sight of it, so striking in its alien quality, cemented the reality of what I'd just witnessed. The sighting occurred in the late afternoon, around 4 pm, with plenty of summer daylight left. At my nearby trailer, I kept four dogs, all chained to prevent them from wandering off into the wilderness. Despite their keen senses, they'd shown no signs of being disturbed by any unusual presence in the forest. Intrigued and more than a little unnerved, my father and I decided to explore the area where the creature had vanished. There, deep within the forest, we discovered a small pile of oyster shells. They didn't seem old enough to be remnants of an old Indian shell mound, despite those being common in coastal areas. Confused and fascinated, I decided to share my experience with a friend of mine, a park ranger named Tim. He was a seasoned man, someone who had spent years patrolling the dense woods and had seen more than a share of wildlife. Despite being initially skeptical, Tim listened to my story and agreed to investigate the unusual find of oyster shells. I'm not sure what I expected him to say. Maybe I hoped he would confirm my suspicion about having seen Bigfoot or perhaps dismiss it as an encounter with a rogue bear. But Tim, with his calm demeanor and sharp eyes, simply stated, the woods hold more secrets than we can fathom, Steve. We might never know what truly happened here, but that's okay. It's part of the magic. Back in August of 2000, I witnessed something I still struggle to believe. I'm Jason Schaffer, a detective, and I'm about to share a peculiar encounter I had around 1.53 a.m. during a pursuit of three suspicious men in a vehicle. Blocking my path in the middle of the road was an eight to nine foot tall upright figure. I slammed on the brakes and stepped out of my car, needing to reassure myself that I wasn't seeing things. As soon as I did, the creature bolted, probably at a speed of 40 to 50 miles an hour, and was clear across the highway in a blink. For more than half an hour after this encounter, I couldn't stop my hands from shaking so much that I couldn't even hold a cup of coffee. That location has been off my travel routes ever since. Many speculate that the entity I saw was some form of Bigfoot, but given the lack of other reported sightings at the time, I can't definitively say that's what it was. However, I've heard numerous accounts of what's being termed shadow people around the Atlanta area. This leads me to believe that many folks aren't reporting their encounters due to fear of ridicule or humiliation. Some may not even recognize the existence of these entities. I'm convinced there are countless people who've experienced paranormal phenomena without realizing it, due to a lack of prior knowledge about these occurrences. That's the reason I'm sharing my story here feel free to share my experience with your friends and family, but I urge you to keep an open mind. Thanks for taking the time to read about my encounter. I've got this buddy who spent a few years working as a forest ranger in the US. He has spun some spine chilling yarns about his findings on the job, leading me to a startling realization. Either all forest rangers are in cahoots Sharing elaborately conceived tales for anyone curious about their work, or the wilderness is a trove of more mysteries than we can fathom. One tale that continues to occupy my mind rent-free is about this bizarre pity discovered deep in the forest. He mentioned receiving reports about an excavated pit that fellow rangers had stumbled upon while patrolling, just a gigantic, gaping hole in the middle of the woods. Being the curious type, he decided to investigate and sure enough, he found the pit. A cavity in the earth about the size of a car, with an oddity at its center. A vintage record player in seemingly perfect condition. My buddy brought the relic back to the office, and the rest of the team filled the pit in. The record player became a forgotten mystery when no one came forward to claim it. A week later, they faced a reprimand from their superiors for failing to fill the pit, news that left my friend bewildered. He knew he and his colleagues had done so. However, they were met with undeniable evidence to the contrary when they returned to the site. The pit was there, untouched, without a trace of the soil they had used to fill it. The only change? A vintage cigarette case now lay in its center. My friend once again filled the pit, half assuming that there was some mischief at play, maybe some ritualistic actions. But it didn't add up. Again, nobody inquired about the cigarette case. So, naturally, he kept it. Days later, reports came in, the pit was back. The rangers were tired of the games. They took a small security camera with them, intent on catching the pit excavator. What they found this time was a small, old, leather-bound notebook. They installed the camera, filled the pit, and left. The pit never returned. Whoever was digging it seemed to have been scared off by the camera. However, the curious part wasn't over. My friend had the collected items examined, confirming their authenticity and remarkable condition. A peculiar way for a vintage collector to store their treasures. But the strangest discovery was in the journal, a newspaper clipping dated April 17, 1972, and one cryptic phrase, it worked. Another story involves a kid who emerged from the woods one day. He was slightly dirty, standard for a child after a day's play. Clad in a t-shirt and jeans, there was nothing odd about his appearance. The rangers found him and took him to one of their offices to inquire about his parents, his presence there. He said he had lost his family while chasing a beetle in the woods. The kid seemed normal, but he had a unique accent making English sound like a well-learned second language. When asked for his parents' names, he replied with K98 and D54. They probed for their real names, but he just kept repeating those alphanumeric sequences, confused by their questions. They tried to ask him for his parents' contact numbers, how long he had been lost, or any other identifying details, but to no avail. All the questions seemed foreign to him. Suddenly, The boy announced that he had made a severe mistake, bolted from the office, and disappeared into the forest. The rangers pursued him, but he was too swift. They searched the forest extensively but found no trace of him. Search and rescue teams were summoned, missing posters were distributed, social media shares were circulated, and the police even got involved at some point. But the child was never seen or heard from again. After searching extensively and covering as much terrain as possible, they found nothing, not even a footprint. Everyone braced for the inevitable moment when worried parents would show up asking about their missing child. But no one ever came. As time passed, the search efforts waned. The boy's story became a missing person's report with only a generic physical description to go by and the unusual names of his alleged parents, k98 and d54 among the rangers it became somewhat of a taboo topic nobody wanted to ponder the grim possibilities of where a child lost in the woods might have ended up yet even with the scant hope of ever uncovering the truth my friend holds a firm belief that boy was not merely lost but somehow purposefully placed in the woods He entertains the possibility that the kid might have been a product of an extraterrestrial entity masquerading as his parents. It's a peculiar case indeed, and one shrouded in an aura of suspicious activity. After the search died down, any mention of the incident on social media was pulled down. Documentation that had been released was suddenly redacted. Everything about the case, to this day, reeks of fishiness but these are just two tales from my friend's time as a forest ranger. There's no shortage of eerie stories he's shared with me over the years, and whether it's all a grand inside joke amongst rangers, or the woods truly hold inexplicable mysteries, I may never know. All I do know is that his accounts have left me with a newfound sense of wonder, and a dash of unease, about what lies hidden in the depths of our forests. One August, I ventured into the dense woods near the Three Sisters Wilderness with a rather unique friend of mine, Roy. You see, Roy claims to be a psychic who can communicate with Bigfoot. Yes, Bigfoot. He lives his life in a way that echoes the habits of this elusive creature and has had what he calls great success with it. His house, he once told me, was brimming with documentation. He didn't care for publicity or approval, He knew Bigfoot was real, and that was all that mattered to him. As we ventured deeper into the forest, Roy began to speak out loud to the air around us. He claimed he was communicating with Bigfoot, saying, he's a friend of mine. You can trust him. He's not going to hurt you, referring to my presence. For 15 minutes, Roy spoke, and with each pause, a series of chirps answered him from the dense foliage. Chirp, chirp. It echoed through the silent woods. According to Roy, the chirping sounded as though it were originating from some sort of cavity. While I stood there, trying to wrap my mind around this peculiar conversation, Roy mentioned his friend Everett. Everett apparently serenades Bigfoot with songs on his guitar. I found myself wondering what sort of tunes Bigfoot prefers. Once we returned to our old-style ranch pickup, Roy was astounded by the plethora of footprints surrounding it. His only response to my obvious shock was a smug, I told you they were here. Despite his claim of communication, Roy never saw Bigfoot that day. We explored further and discovered a large area where the trees were entirely stripped of their bark and leaves. It was an eerie sight. Roy didn't know what kind of trees they were, but he theorized that Bigfoot had stripped and eaten all the bark and leaves. As evidence, he showed me a patch of young cedar trees near what he called Bigfoot Mountain, where the bark had been similarly stripped away. Even though I never witnessed Bigfoot myself, that peculiar adventure with Roy in the woods was something I will never forget. It made me question what I thought I knew about the world and opened my mind to the mysteries that might still be hiding within the depths of our forests. I was a cop for 27 years, which kind of brings me to what I experienced last year in Barretts, Montana. As a cop, I approach things with open-minded cynicism. In other words, I like evidence. I want to see it, touch it, feel it, test it, and then make my decision. I retired from the department three years ago. I'm from Northern Arizona. I decided I needed a second career. I taught school for a semester and really didn't like it. On a fluke my best friend and competitive shooting buddy said let's go to truck driving school, so we did. We drove as a team and spent all of last winter in the Mountain States, running from Phoenix, Arizona, near where I live, to Shelby, Montana. We used to overnight in Barrett's, Montana at a Sinclair station with a cafe, a small store, and parking for about 20 semis. It was a regular stop for us, So I was familiar with the area. We stopped this night and I was in the driver's seat. My buddy was sitting on the lower bunk in the sleeper. We had a movie on the DVD player and I was paying half attention to that and half attention to my laptop when I caught some movement past the driver's window. Bear in mind this is a small facility and it is 100 yards from the freeway but generally surrounded by a large field with 3 to 4 foot tall grass and thicket that goes right into foothills and mountains. I looked in the mirror and saw the biggest presumed man I had ever seen step behind my trailer which was about 70 feet behind me. I said, Jesus, that's the biggest mfer I've ever seen. Damn. My buddy popped up and looked out the passenger mirror. It walked between the space between the rear of our trailer and a truck that was parked next to us. I didn't think any more of it for a while but then realized that when I caught the movement next to me the head of the guy was nearly at my shoulder level which was 10 feet off the ground. I was in my 2019 Freightliner Cascadia tractor. The bottom of the window line of my door is 9 and a half feet from ground level. My cop brain went into assessment mode and I thought it couldn't have been that tall. There must have been a shadow casting on my window. I wasn't even considering Sasquatch. I was tired and put it out of my mind. I finished up and my partner and I went back to our bunks and killed the TV. The only noise is from my heater running. I fell into a very light sleep which was unusual because I usually sleep like a baby. I'm totally comfortable in my truck but not this night. It's like I felt like I was hovering between sleep and wakefulness. Around midnight I really had to pee since the cafe was already closed by 9pm. I climbed out of the passenger side of my tractor. For some reason, I felt like I was being hunted or watched. Maybe not actively hunted like prey but I definitely was aware of something predatory being aware of me. I've been hunted by criminals and I've been around predatory animals but I have never felt like this before. I finished quickly and looked around and scanned the grass field in the quarter moonlight and had a deep down feeling that I should not move toward the field. My instincts signaled that danger existed. I got back into the truck and locked the door. I felt like there was something out there that was dangerous but only if I did something to trigger an aggressive response. I got back into my bunk and made sure that my Glock 10 pistol was in the cubby by my head. Being a retired police officer I could legally carry in all fifty states but I also made sure two spare magazines were close to hand as well. I tried to put it out of my mind and listened to a podcast while trying to go back to sleep. I slept a little bit, but I had a sense of foreboding. At 3 AM I bolted upright reaching for my Glock. I saw it, whatever it was, go by the front of the truck, this time in the space between the building and my truck. I moved out of my bunk to the passenger side window and only caught a faint and fading shadow moving into the darkness out of the faint glow of the low sodium lighting on the building 75 yards away. There was no way I was going back to sleep. I got my coffee maker and started a pot of coffee and got dressed. I still had 90 minutes on my electronic log before I could go back on duty and drive us out of there. But all I wanted to do was leave ASAP. I kept looking up the windows of the truck but I didn't see anything else. The sun started coming up and with the light, the sense of foreboding retreated. I could see all around the truck and the few other trucks parked in the lot and out into the grass field and up to the building. My buddy asked why I was up so early. I told him what I had felt all night and he quietly said, me too. When the sun was fully up I walked all around the places where I'd seen it. I was using my cop brain again and realized that the hard-packed gravel would hold no tracks especially as cold as it was. I walked to the edge of the grass field and there was a trail. It was a game trail where I'm sure deer moved through. There were no large footprints visible. When the cafe opened for breakfast my buddy and I went in to eat. We tried to figure out what we'd experienced and seen. I am firmly convinced that I saw a Sasquatch. I took the known and the unknown and the puzzle pieces and put them into one logical assumption that could be made. At any rate, we decided to put a day of driving between us and Barrett's and get to a larger truck stop or terminal. My name is Sam, and I've been a park ranger at the nearby Thompsonville National Park in Illinois for nearly a decade now. I've seen and experienced a lot in my years out in the wild, from the spectacular beauty of a sunrise over the mountains to the unexpected encounters with all sorts of wildlife. But nothing quite prepared me for the day I crossed paths with the enigmatic creature known as Bigfoot. It was a typical morning when I received a call from old Bill, a farmer who lived at the edge of the park. Bill had found some odd tracks on his property and wanted me to come take a look. Intrigued. I hopped into my ranger vehicle and drove over to Bill's farm. The tracks were indeed unusual, enormous footprints with distinct toe imprints, much larger than any humans and deeper than any native animals could possibly make. I remembered some of the stories I'd heard around campfires and in whispered conversations, tales of a creature called Honey Bear, a nickname given due to its fondness for honey and its bear-like size. Some said it was just another term for Bigfoot curiosity peaked, I decided to delve deeper. For the next few weeks, I ventured out into the woods, camera in hand, on the trail of the mysterious honey bear. I found more tracks, some broken branches high up in the trees, and once even stumbled upon a partially eaten honeycomb, discarded near a creek. One day, while I was inspecting some claw marks on a tree, I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. A low growl echoed around me. I turned slowly, and there, not ten feet away, was a creature unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was tall, with shaggy, brown fur and a hulking form, easily towering over me. I could barely breathe as I slowly lifted my camera, but just as I was about to snap a photo, the creature turned and disappeared into the forest with a speed that belied its size. All that was left was the rustling of leaves and a sense of awe. Whether or not what I saw was the legendary Bigfoot or the honey bear of local lore, I couldn't say for sure. But I can tell you this, there's more to the wilderness than we know, and sometimes, the mysteries are what make it truly magical. This happened to me a few years back. I live in a suburban neighborhood that borders a large park, part of which is public and the rest is a closed-off reservoir. The public section of the park is sprawling over several acres. There are hiking trails in the woods, a baseball field, basketball and tennis courts, and a playground area. The park is accessible by car via a winding one-lane road that goes through the playground area and around to more remote sections in the woods. Eventually, This road leads out to a major, busy highway. At one point, it was used as a cut-through to get from the highway to my neighborhood and beyond. Nowadays, there are several much larger access points to the neighborhood and the cut-through is seldom used. My story begins on a late winter afternoon. I was spending the day at home with my now ex-husband, who was an avid runner. He decided to go out on foot into the park to take a run down the one-lane road. He did this often and the crime rate in this area is extremely low, so I thought nothing of it. After about an hour or so, he comes back all sweaty. I asked him how the run went and his time per mile, etc. He tells me he was slower than usual that day and just wasn't feeling very well during the run. As he's heading to the shower to rinse off, he casually says oh, I heard this dog whimpering in the woods when I was running. I am a bleeding heart for wounded animals and asked him for more specifics. He said he had not gone to look for the whimpering dog because the noise had stopped shortly after it started. He then said the last thing we need is another pet and went off to shower. I sat there for a bit, looking at my three dogs laying on the floor and lazily pawing at each other. After a few moments, I couldn't stand it anymore so I laced up some tennis shoes, grabbed some treats and headed to my car. My husband was just getting out of the shower by then and I told him I was going to look for the dog. He said I was crazy but didn't try to stop me, nor did he want to go back out with me. By now, daylight was fast fading and it was close to 5.30 pm. The spot he'd heard the whimpering was about two minutes from our house. I drove over and pulled my car into the shoulder, so as not to block the lane. I got out and started calling for the dog here doggy, and other similar phrases to see if it'd start whimpering again or come out to greet me. I heard nothing, so after a minute or so, I decided to venture out into the woods. The woods in this area of the park are not too dense, with trees spaced at least eight to ten feet apart on average and the forest floor was blanketed with fallen leaves. Every step I made was a loud crunch. I'd stop call out and be still for a bit, and then slowly move further into the woods. I thought I could hear a dog whimper once or twice but it always happened as I was calling out, so I couldn't be sure. The further I walked, the less light there was and the more dense the trees became. I had brought my cell phone but this one didn't have a flashlight app at the time. I'd been out there walking, calling, and stopping for about 20 minutes when I came upon a small clearing. I've always been fascinated by the occult but all the stories I'd read did not prepare me for what I saw in that clearing. The first thing that caught my eye was this formation of sticks laid out on the ground. The sticks were all of the same size and formed a small circle. Inside the circle, there were three more sticks propped up in a tripod formation in the center. On top of the tripod was a small doll's head with the eyes missing from their sockets. I immediately had this OF moment where I realized that I was a woman alone in the woods at dusk, with no form of protection on me, and in a spot where I clearly was not meant to be. I froze in place as I surveyed the surroundings. To make myself less scared, I called out again softly this time come here puppy. There were small bones in a pile at the far edge of the clearing. A bush to my left had several more gouged that dolls' heads hanging from the branches. It was not windy that day but I swear I heard the rustling of leaves that last time I called out for the lost dog. As I scanned the perimeter from left to right, my eyes suddenly fixed for a split second across the clearing on something in the trees. There, about eight to ten feet back in the bushes was a man's face. I kept my eyes moving because something told me not to let him know I'd seen him by staring or reacting in any way. The brief moment I glanced at him was enough to momentarily paralyze me. His hair was long and unkempt, his eyes were bulging almost as he stared at me. I couldn't see the rest of him because of the tree cover. At this point, my flight response finally kicked in and I was able to move again. I remember saying something to the effect of silly dog must have found his way home as I started to back out of the clearing, still scanning. He didn't appear to be pursuing me. So as soon as I was half hidden by trees on my side, I took off running at full speed to my car. I couldn't tell how long it took or how far it was but daylight was all but gone by now. I somehow made it back to the road, a few yards behind where my car was parked. I sprinted to it and locked myself inside. It took me four attempts to get my key in the ignition with how badly my hands were trembling. I finally got the car started and beat it the hell out of there took the long way home to my house by going out to the main highway and entering my neighborhood through another well-traveled intersection. As soon as I was home, I called the police to report what I'd seen. They never followed up with me. The more I've thought on this over the years, I'm convinced that the man in the woods was the one whimpering to lure a gullible victim like me off the little road and into the woods. I was working as an information technology contractor for MGM Studios during the year 2000. It was a lot of fun working there, getting to see movie props such as the Stargate was an extra bonus. I was staying at the Georgian Hotel in Santa Monica during a major renovation. Having worked at MGM for a month, my contract was coming to an end. During my last night at the hotel, I woke up suddenly at approximately 3 AM via the light from the window and the night light in the room, I could see something floating in the middle of the room. It was the head of something I'd never seen and never want to see again. It was grotesque, a man's head with snakes' as hair. Its skin, which looked dark green, seemed to be moving with smaller snakes. As I watched it, it moved its lips as if it was trying to talk to me, but I couldn't hear anything. I could see the back of its head and the mirror on the wall in front of me. I really don't know how I knew to say this but I told him, it wasn't welcome and he had to leave. After saying this a few more times, it just slowly faded away. I got up and turned on the lights in the room. Working for MGM, I thought maybe one of the guys I was working with was playing a joke on me. I checked the whole room for anything that could produce this head image but I found nothing. Needless to say, I didn't go back to sleep. When the time came to check out later that morning, I was too embarrassed to say anything. Heading into work one last time, I did ask the guys if they knew anything about it. They all said no and promised me they would never do anything so cruel. One of them did tell me that the hotel was in fact haunted. This incident has left me wondering just what it was I saw that night. I think it might have been a demon looking for someone to possess. So my sister called my family the other day and told my parents about a strange man that she and her friend came across.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
2: They have been there for about a week and were out walking in the redwoods when a man appeared out of practically nowhere and startled them. My sister claimed that he looked completely normal and was even kind of handsome, in her opinion, but he gave off a creepy vibe pretty quickly. He apparently began asking them weird questions like, who they were and what they were doing out in his woods. After they explained that they were just out exploring, he quickly got annoyed and said they were liars. My sister and her friend began to walk away quickly as they assumed he was probably on drugs but he walked after them and said more weird stuff. She says he even asked them to kiss each other because he knew they were lesbian lovers they are not lesbians by the way. My sister's friend apparently turned around and screamed at him to leave them alone. My sister said this is where he got scary as hell. She says he gave my sister and her friend the most evil and hateful look she's ever seen in her life and he said this in response you two are such disrespectful bitches I've killed a few of you over the last few years and I'll love to add you both to my count. My sister and her friend didn't even hesitate and both booked it right after he said that. They heard him chasing after them and screaming at them. My sister says that she couldn't make out much of what he said other than that he would chop them up and a few other threats. They both made it safely out of the woods and they didn't see him anywhere. They got in their car and sped back to the town they were staying in. They called the police to file a report and headed to another area and will be heading home soon. I'm scared and pissed off that some creep did this to them. I served my country, Great Britain, for 12 years all over the globe. I've seen my fair share of face to face with some of the most evil people on earth. But nothing comes close to this. I was sent to Alberta, Canada to do some training back in 1993. On the first day, I and a friend decided to go for a walkabout to get to know the area. We bumped into a few Canadian soldiers. A few words were exchanged and one shouted back, don't let the monkeys keep you awake, they laughed. We just looked at each other and then carried on. While out on exercise a few of the guys said they were woken up in their sleeping bags by being pulled along the ground. I heard this a few times over the weeks. Also their kit rations and other bits going missing. Nothing came of it. Also an incident of one soldier missing, who was found the next day miles away from his platoon. He said he couldn't remember why he got separated but felt that he was followed during the night by some animal. Nothing more was said. We spent around 19 months out there. On one occasion, I was going out to check the lay of the land and a group of Canadian soldiers were just coming in. It looked like they had been out for a few days, looking at the state of them. One of them asked me, you going out? I replied. I don't know, he said. "Monkeys." watch your back. I replied, okay. I was thinking that I heard this before. I noticed the guys had their heads down. They looked pretty worn out. A few months on one of the guys said something about seeing three bears walking toward him on two feet on a trail while out walking. I immediately thought of walking on two feet. I went to find him. This was just a few hours after his encounter. I couldn't find him anywhere. The following day I asked around as to where he was. He's gone. A guy said. What do you mean gone? Gone back to his regiment? I knew straight away why. I later found the guy who told me about this. He just didn't want to talk about it so I left it there. It was September. I remember this well because I lost two of my best friends and I was feeling very down and lost. It was a bad time in my career for me. I decided to go for a drive, a weekend break. I had an old pickup truck and just drove, not really going anywhere in particular. I stopped for a break in a beautiful area not far from Medicine Lodge, Alberta. I had been on the road for two days, sleeping in the back of the pickup. I decided to go for a walk on a trail along a tree line. I walked about a 100 yards away from the tree line and I see a coyote just stop on the trail. I had never seen one so close. Our eyes met and we just stared at each other. I suddenly feel uncomfortable. The coyote keeps glancing back and forth from the tree line. I'm really feeling anxious, not because of the coyote but what's in the tree line. The coyote moves backward and forward, then just disappears into the grass. I'm left staring at the trees. Something is telling me to come closer. I can't explain this but my head's telling me no. I don't know how long I was there, but I'm so scared. I've never felt so much fear. To the point where I felt sick. I slowly walked backward, keeping my eyes on the tree line. I then turned and ran like a bad dream. I got in my pickup and never looked back. I still think about it to this day. What was in those trees? The months go by and then my battalion comes over for an exercise. One night while out I was with another mate. We were parked on a hill overlooking a large bowl down below where a platoon of men were all sleeping. It was around 2.30 in the morning, clear skies. You could see a good distance without using any aids. My friend was asleep. I noticed a group of coyotes down below. It looks like they were looking for a free meal. I'm thinking is this what happens when someone feels they're being dragged in their sleeping bags? Could a coyote have that much strength? I watched them for a while getting bolder by the minute. Then suddenly their body language changed. Four of them ran in one direction while one was just standing there looking up the hill. I looked through my night vision. Then, all of a sudden, three human type figures just stood up one after the other, all of different sizes. The first thing that stood out to me on adjusting my sights is that I could clearly see that the largest one was a Bigfoot. No doubt about it. It was standing at 9 feet tall, and the second one was around seven and a half feet tall. The other one was 6 feet in height. I looked at my mate still snoring away and just left him to it. The details on the tallest Bigfoot were easy to see. Wow, so big. I could see his eyes. They were all looking in my direction, then just turned and walked down into another valley. I could see the hair swaying on his arms, even the calf muscles. I'm just smiling to myself. To me, this was the last piece of the puzzle. I had recently told my daughter about this. She believes me. There are so many people that know about these creatures especially where I was. It's common knowledge. I think about them every day. I'm glad I saw them and I've always believed that they existed. Thorndale. Ontario is a place no one in here has likely heard of. It lies just north of London and is home to approximately one woodchuck, two beavers, and a few deer. Jokes aside, I lived in this town as a child, and grew up country, although London Arva was already not that far away and I did go to a high school in that area. Anyways, this little town has woods all around the northern side of it, opposite to London which, at that time, was a fair way south of Thorndale, but these days is not that far at all, maybe a couple miles max, and it was here where we would play as kids in the late 90s, very early 2000s, because rural internet that wasn't 16k dial-up internet certainly did not exist at that time. One day, while playing out in these woods, we heard a distant, but gut-wrenching scream so loud that it hurt our young ears. Somewhere, distantly, Someone was in major distress. We only heard that scream before there was dead silence. We told our parents but, being kids, we lost interest in what had happened. Me and my friend's fathers went out, being big country men, and when they came back even us kids knew they'd seen something horrible. Years later my father told me that he found a woman with an axe buried so deep in her skull it came out the other side of her head. He did, naturally. Call 911, but the person who committed the act was never found, so to this day Thorndale still likely has a murderer roaming its couple of streets. The reason I posted this here and not in Let's Not Meet or another more in danger subreddit is because this was seemingly a homicide targeted at that woman specifically and it happened a mile or so into the woods, so far away from where we were. This incident occurred on April 29, 1982, in Newport News, Virginia. I was working the second shift as a field engineer at the shipyard and would get home between 11.30 and midnight. I would listen to the Richmond Rock Station at 102.1 MHz to relax and sometimes a challenge to receive, since it was 80 miles away. This night's reception was excellent and it was 1.30 a.m. before I knew it. I told myself I would listen to one more song before going to bed. About a minute later, I heard some static that is characteristic of weak signal fading on FM. Okay, so I would go to bed now. I turned the stereo off and went down the hall to the master bedroom. Before I could turn on the room light, I noticed an orange glow, like a sodium vapor light, and some blue-green flashing lights out my back window. I had window shades on all windows since I needed a near dark to sleep during the day when I was on the third shift. I approached the window to open the shade and get a better look. My backyard adjoined a soybean field operated by the Baptist retirement home that was on the next street over. I knew they weren't out harvesting soybeans at 1.30 am. A voice in the back of my head warned me not to open the shade. I started to anyway but was warned again. The shades I bought had the edges curled in the two years since I had bought them, so I was able to see out a narrow slit. In the orange glow, I saw a figure about four feet high. It turned back towards the lights and disappeared out of my field of view. I tried to move the shade, but my fingers and arm wouldn't respond. The lights got much fainter and disappeared, all within a few seconds. Then, I was able to open the shade. I saw nothing. Suddenly I remembered the previous events of my life, Enfield, Connecticut 1966 and 1974. Again I asked them what was happening. I asked if it really was them. The answer I got was you will know soon. The following morning I immediately went to my backyard and looked for any indication of the previous evening's activity. I saw nothing. I was very disappointed, for at last I thought I had real evidence. A few days later, I looked out the window and saw three rings touching each other. They appeared to be perfect circles about 12 feet in diameter and from 4 to 6 inches in thickness and made of a grey black powder. My next door neighbor, a retired Air Force officer was gardening out back. I brought him a grass blade from the area. He immediately identified the material as a fungus common to the area due to the high humidity. He said the fungus typically starts as a small patch then grows in random shapes outward, sometimes forming rings up to two to three feet over several weeks. I showed him the three perfect 12-foot circles that appeared overnight. He had never seen anything like that. He then showed me several places where some of his azaleas were missing. The dirt was still fresh like they were pulled out by the roots. There was a footprint about five or six inches long near the plants, It looked like someone was wearing swimming fins with no obvious toe or heel marks. He thought some kid stole the flowers at night. He had several varieties of azaleas, and it appeared that at least one of each color was missing. I figured it would be little point in telling him what I saw a couple of days earlier, but I gave him a condensed version. I said, maybe aliens came from space, spread fungus spores in perfect rings in my backyard then stole some of your azaleas, just for fun. A look of shock came over his face like I just revealed a state secret. He was not amused by my whimsical explanation. Instead, he asked me to tell him if I ever saw any little kids messing around his backyard. Sure, I said, I'll let you know. When I was in college I worked a couple of odd jobs to help pay the bills. They were mostly mundane, but one shook me to my core. I was working for the city parks and lakes division at a local lake. It was a job that did involve some hard work, cleaning and repairing the boats and motors, but it also had more than enough downtime. Whenever there was no work to do my coworkers and I would sit around in the shade on the dock and talk. When I first started it was mostly the other guys telling me stories about the lake. Most of them were your run-of-the-mill fisherman stories, but there were a few with a much darker feel. It wasn't long before I started to have my own auto nunners in the park. I split my time working there between the boat dock and working night security in the campgrounds. One night as I was driving the work truck around the lake into the campgrounds, part of my hourly patrol, I saw a pale blue light just above the road probably 100 feet in front of my truck. As I got close the light grew in intensity, then when I was about 30 feet away it took on a smoky appearance and dissipated in the night sky. That incident was definitely odd, but not at all in a scary sort of way. The next two incidents I had during the night shift, which led to me refusing the work the shift anymore, were definitely more disturbing and physical. Maybe a month after I saw the floating light I was driving down the hill from the campground back to the lake when I saw a man run out of the bushes. He was dirty, terrified, and wearing only his underwear. The first thought I had was that he was on drugs. The campground was cheap so we did get our fair share of homeless drug addicts. I quickly realized that wasn't the case, however. The second he saw my truck he came running towards me. Clearly not looking to hurt me but rather for me to save him. When he was still a few yards away I was going to open my window to ask what was wrong when suddenly I saw a second person run out of the bushes. This time it was a woman. Her t-shirt was torn and dirty, her legs scratched from running through the bushes without pants on. I was confused to say the least, but the confusion quickly turned to anxiety when I saw she was carrying a large knife. Obviously this is what the man was running from. He didn't seem to notice her at first so I motioned to the passenger door, hoping he would get it so we could drive off and call the police before she got too close. As I was motioning to him was when he spotted her. He looked me in the eyes, and I could tell he knew he should run to the truck, but I watched as the panic overtook him, and he ran. The woman chased after, both heading across the road down into the brush towards the lake. I drove off to the park ranger station and called the police. I could hear the echoes of the man screaming and the woman's yelling. I talked to the police after they handled the situation. The man had been stabbed, but he would live. I went home, obviously shaken. Two months after that I was driving the truck through the campground and I saw what looked like a military-style duffel bag hanging from a tree. The closer I got the more definition the shape took. By the time I was at the campsite I already had the police on the phone. I could hear the wife sleeping in the tent, but I decided I would let the police wake her and inform her that her husband had hanged himself. I never worked the night shift again. I thought if I worked strictly during the day on the boat dock all this would stop. I was wrong. I did work an entire summer without incident, but it was in the winter that it happened. It was a cold winter, by San Diego standards at least. Many times my shift would start before the sunrise, having to get the boats ready for all the fishermen coming in the early morning hours trying for trout. On one particular morning I got to work around 5 am. It was cold, in the mid-30s, with frost still on the ground. I walked straight onto the dock and into the shed we used as a workshop. Most of the mornings the only employees at the park were me a young woman who worked the concession stand, and a park ranger. Often the park ranger would come down to the dock about 20 minutes into my shift to make sure I had everything I needed. On this morning I was inside the workshop with the door closed, space heater on, and was working on a broken motor. I could tell when another person walked onto the dock because it would make the whole dock bob slightly in the water. I felt the dock rise and fall beneath my feet and kept at my work, assuming it was just the ranger. I could tell the footsteps went up to the door, paused for a second, then continued towards the end of the dock. After about five minutes without feeling the footsteps return I opened the door to see what the ranger was up to. I looked to the end of the dock and no one was there. I assumed I must have mistaken the slight waves of the water for footsteps, but noticed the water was smooth as glass, and that all the boats were tied up. I took a step out of the shop to get a better look and could hear the crunch of frost under my feet. When I looked down I noticed that there were two sets of footprints. One was mine, going from the shore straight to the shop. The second went past the shop, down the edge of the dock, and stopped. There were no prints going off the dock. I turned and saw the ranger walk towards the dock down the shore. I quit once he got within earshot. I was a 21 year old male, 240 pounds. Not a small or weak looking guy. I was wanting to lose some weight for a while now and had been going on walks for a bit, sometimes during the evening or very late at night. It was Florida and it gets hot unless it's nighttime, plus like I said I'm a big dude, I got nothing to worry about. Or so I thought. One fateful night I decide to go out walking around my neighborhood around 3am in like a big puffy jacket and black pants, feel like in this situation I would be the creepy person someone would be scared of. My walk was going good as usual and was actually getting close to the end of it. Then this like old school wood paneled passes by and goes into a driveway somewhat in front of me. I barely think anything of it, always 3-6 to cars go by on one of these late night excursions. What happens next is what unsettled me. This van pulls back out of the driveway with its lights off after I pass by the driveway. Luckily I wasn't listening to any music or else I wouldn't have heard it. The van then proceeds to pull out and drive towards me and stops right in front of me. At this point I know I don't want to end up like some kind of horror movie character, so I book it in the opposite direction. I go down an off-branching street, and keep going down these random streets to give me as much time as possible. I end up hiding in some random ass bushes in someone's yard and stay there for a little bit. I wanted to text my mom but I was scared and didn't want the light from my phone to give me away. So I watch for any sign of them. Nothing for 5 minutes. Just as you think the coast is clear, boom, I hear a car coming down the street and it's those men but with their lights on this time. I'm pretty hidden in these bushes right against someone's house so they just go by, but my heart is beating so fast and I'm terrified in this moment. I wait a little bit more till I truly believe the coast is clear and get back to my house. I wake up my mom and we call the cops and I give them as much info as possible. They said they would patrol the neighborhood and I don't hear anything more. I just can't help thinking about that event, and what their motives were. I always try to debunk shit like that, but all their actions pointed to wanting to do something to me. But what did they want to do? I'm not a pretty young lady, I'm a very large, menacing dude. My neighborhood is not even nice enough to rob, very just middle class, and what the F am I going to have on me while walking at 2 am. So I just can't help but think maybe they didn't want to kidnap me or mug me but kill me. It freaks me out to this day. I experienced a handful of peculiar occurrences, but they ceased until I met my wife. In our first apartment, an unseen presence would tap on the soles of my feet as I slept. Every other day for two months, after returning home from work, the microwave clock would read 5.14, while the one on my nightstand read 7.14, despite all other clocks displaying the correct time. In our kitchen hung a wine bottle holder. My wife always positioned the labels outward, but occasionally, all bottles except the top one and bottom one would inexplicably have their labels facing inward. The bullet casings from my grandfather's funeral flag, lined up on the bookshelf, would occasionally rearrange themselves. When our lease expired, we moved to another apartment where the only oddity was the persistent foot-tapping as I tried to sleep. The year following, we built our own house. In the two years we've lived here, a variety of oddities has persisted. I've noticed shadows without sources, and the foot tapping continues. Our cat and dog often seem to follow something invisible around the room with their gaze. A small pig statue on a dining room shelf rotates on its own. Footsteps echo on the wooden laminate floor we installed in the living room, day and night. The wine bottles also persist in their rotation, as in our first apartment. My wife finds these events somewhat unnerving, but we mostly view them as a source of entertainment. We've made a game of spotting what's changed each time we walk into the house. Our resident ghost, which we've affectionately named Bud, hasn't ever displayed any violent or threatening behavior. In fact, we've taken to talking to Bud. However, the day we returned home to find all four stove burners switched on, twice in a row, did unsettle us. After the second incident, I addressed Bud directly, requesting that he not leave the stove on and risk burning the house down. Since then, it hasn't happened again. Through all these occurrences, I can't help but believe in the presence of something beyond our understanding. I often wonder what prompted this entity to make itself known and why Bud has chosen to follow us. Despite the peculiarities, It's been mostly harmless, and, in a strange way, Bud has become a part of our family. To be honest, I'm starting to freak out a little. Of all the spirits I could think of that might have attached to me, none felt quite right. But there was one, a playful, gentle spirit, who I hadn't considered till now. It's dawning on me that our bud might actually be a young girl I once knew during my time overseas. Her name was Ally, the 11-year-old daughter of our translator, Alex. She had taken a shine to me, constantly referring to me as cowboy because I hailed from Texas. She'd speak of her dreams to become a cowgirl, of riding horses and wearing cowboy boots, all in Texas. On every patrol we conducted in her village, Ally would rush to greet us always with a jubilant, Cowboy! Cowboy! Go Texas! I made a point of bringing treats or small gifts for her. There was a sense of joy in our interactions, a kind of innocence that was so rare in those conditions. One heartbreaking day, we rolled into Alex's village to pick him up for a mission. Instead, we found Alex packing his family into their car, preparing to visit relatives. I wished them a safe journey and promised Ally a soccer ball upon my return. I remember her giggling as she clutched the bag of Twizzlers I'd brought for her that day. A few miles down the road, we came upon the wreckage of their car. An IED, intended for our patrol, had taken them instead. In my despair, I had thrown caution to the wind, rushing towards the mangled car. I found Ally's foot, still in her sandal among the wreckage. I remember collapsing, cradling her foot in my hands, overcome by guilt and sorrow. I don't know how long I knelt there, or when I began firing at two men behind a small berm. All I know is that when it was over, they had to scoop up the remnants of that tragic scene with a snow shovel. As a final tribute to Ally, I placed my US flag in what remained of her small hand, my heart heavy with a grief that has never really left me. Now, I think I understand. The casings, the flag, the pig statue, her favorite animal, the boots, and the tapping on my foot, like her playful nudges. It all fits. But is Ally. In her own way, she finally got her wish. She's in Texas, maybe even wearing her cowboy boots. The realization is bittersweet and profound. Oh my god, it's Ally. At our lease we are fortunate enough to have an old house that we have cleaned up and live in. It is extremely old and was owned by the rancher that used to own the property. When we originally started cleaning it out it had been vacant for years, animals had gotten inside and tore the place up. Holes in the walls, floors etc. We boarded up the walls, and other holes, closed and permanently locked old closets. My dad and I sleep in one room an uncle in an adjacent room, and my other uncle in a trailer outside. About 11 pm on 11 5 11 my bed starts moving back and forth, with me in it. I thought it was my dad shaking my bed, playing a joke on me because that's just his nature. I said, dad stop. It was obvious he wasn't doing anything and was asleep. My bed literally rocked back and forth with me in it for almost a minute and all I could think about was the scene in Paranormal Activity where the demon grabs and pulls the woman out of the bed. I knew that was about to happen to me any second. Then lights started shining in our window and I heard doors open and shut, pans clinking together in the kitchen, and thought, I'm about to die. Eventually it all stopped and I went to bed. The next morning after the hunt we all were talking and I asked everyone if they heard or felt anything last night. Everyone did, which freaked me out. Well it turns out that was the night of the first earthquake in Oklahoma, and we hunt in the panhandle of Texas. That's why the bed was shaking and the pans rattling. The doors opening and light shining was my uncle getting out of his trailer because he thought we were playing a joke on him and rocking his trailer back and forth. We all had a good laugh when we realized what had actually happened. Okay, it all started out when my brother and his friends went down the hill playing in an old stage coach house. Shortly after that funny things started happening, like stuff being moved around my mom's little trinkets especially being moved around. For example, an old perfume bottle with an air squirt pocket deal with tassels on it. Then one evening my brother was doing his homework in the living room and the hutch doors with wood latches like on a deer blind window moved on their own. And the doors opened and then slammed back. Then he heard what sounded like running up the stairs. He freaked out and told my mom he was not staying in that house. He was basically crying he was so scared she told him to calm down. It was nothing but she was scared herself. Two nights later my brother which was 14 at the time woke up and there was a young girl bellied up to his bed. Watching him sleep. He tucked his head under the covers and stayed awake till the sun came up. A night or two went by and he was in his room. He heard his clothes hangers clanking around in his closet. He ran downstairs told my mom what happened. They both stood at the bottom of the stairs and yelled. Can you please leave Cooper alone? You are scaring him. He can't even stay in his own room you need to leave. At that moment his door slammed shut which really freaked my mom out. My brother said screw this. He stormed up there and said I'm not scared. Look. I'm getting my shoot gun out and I will blow your head of if you come out again. His gun was in his gun cabinet in his room which had a key lock and left the gun by his bed. For a few weeks nothing happened so he went to pull his gun cabinet keys out to put his gun away and they were not in his nightstand or anywhere else. So months go by and it's just little things that are happening. One day my mom was cleaning my brother's closet out and underneath a bunch of crap was a suitcase that hadn't been used. In about a year she picked it up and heard something. She opened it and it was his keys to the cabinet. We are guessing it put it in there after getting scared. A few nights later she showed up again in the corner of my brother's room. He freaked out ran downstairs. Woke my mom up and she remembers it being 3 am. He slept with her the rest of the night. I come home from college a few weeks later knowing about none of this. Few mornings go by and my mom always asks how did you sleep last night. Every miming it was always gray. It feels good to sleep in my old bed but it's so weird I keep waking up at 3 12 am every single night. Still she says nothing about the stuff that has happened. Walking around the house alone I felt weird and taking a shower I felt like someone was watching me. I had never felt that before. Well one night I was at the house by myself and heard what sounded like someone jumping on the bed upstairs. I yelled hey and the door slammed. I got my keys and hauled down the road to my friend's mom's house. I'm getting goosebumps just telling this story. While I confront my mom and she spills the beans about what is going on. A few nights later I come home from partying with my friends and there is anime come from the oven. And a cast iron pot was on fire. The funny thing about it was that oven was only used to store pots and pans the oven didn't work. It was an older antique oven. My mom woke yelling what are you doing and she realizes it would be impossible for me to light that oven. I was freaked out bad. Really didn't want to stay there anymore, but I did. Well, my mom got a hold of a paranormal person in Virginia and told him the stories. Told him where we lived. He did some research and got back with us and faxed a pic of a little girl that was 11 that died of smallpox in the stagecoach house. And before showing my brother, have him describe her. Well, he described her to a T. The paranormal guy said that when my brother and his grind went down to the house they might have woke her spirit and since they were around the same age she just wanted to play and followed my brother back to the house. And she would not hurt him she wanted to play jokes and stuff. After that my brother wasn't as scared. He would just tell her to leave him alone, but would leave little trinkets out for her to play with. And they would always get moved around but nothing else dramatic happened with the little girl. I left quite a bit out, but if I typed all of it my fingers would fall off. The house burning down is another story. Hope y'all enjoyed.